Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's just you and me this morning. I feel like we're I feel like we're transitioning back into part-time run. Like kind of we'll we'll see him when we see him, you know. I'm choosing uh, to see this as a positive because it means the world is opening back up and okay. we have to kind of longingly <laughs> grasp at the the yep. shadow of Ronnie as he boards another regional jet to go yeah. somewhere. So as he, as he trundles back into coach with his, you know, $800 bag and, and goes off somewhere else on, on the plus side, we don't have to wear masks while we're doing this podcast. He does while he navigates airports. So he sure sucks, does, sucks yeah. to be him. That's a, that's a, a, a good point. And as I recall, he was not going anywhere glamorous this time. I feel like it was some kind of great plainsy. He was going to like Oklahoma city. What's there, dude? Who's he trying to work in Oklahoma City? I mean, there are I know I know a few good people there, but I don't know yeah. a lot of like I don't I don't know I don't know a lot that's happening there. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it's interesting. The boys making moves. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll learn about it in due time. Is it uh, is it weird that when I hear the like you just say anything in Oklahoma and all I picture is a covered wagon? <laughs> yeah, that's funny, I, dude. I, I'm aware that they're part of the 21st century and yeah. like. They 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 had a whole kind of sound breaking. I don't know if it's Boeing or whatever was there and all this stuff. Yeah. But like you say, Oklahoma, I pictured covered wagon. I don't know. It's just yeah. And I'm not you, like East Coast biased here. I grew up in the no, Midwest, no. but still, that's that's my that's the entire vision I have of Oklahoma, dude. It's funny. The entire vision that I have is Brian Bosworth, circa like 1985. With like the neck roll and the towel and the, the a certain kind of face mask. But doesn't he seem like somebody who got to Oklahoma on a covered wagon and then discovered to- steroids? Totally, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shout out Oklahoma. Shout out the Boz. Uh, a great state. I've, I've actually never been to Oklahoma. Have you? I have. Uh, I... I've been to I've been to Tulsa. I mean, I've driven through Oklahoma, going from Minnesota to Texas. Yeah. But uh, no, I've been to Tulsa, and it was not a pleasant experience. But I've been told that's because I was in the wrong part of Tulsa. I will mm. say this, however, how big uh, is Tulsa, every, dude? It's got I, like, I, yeah. I didn't know there was big enough to have parts. Yeah, multiple um, parts. It. I've been told. Th- that's the line that everybody in every middle American not awesome city uses. You're like, oh, <laughs> you didn't go to the cool part. I'm like, you mean the the one coffee shop or yeah, whatever? Yeah. yeah. So that's I that's have a question for you along those lines. Are are quote unquote cool parts of the city always the same and regardless of what city you're in? You know what I mean? I mean, is um, or is there some play there with within cool parts? I, I think they used to be unique. And yeah. now they're becoming homogenous because probably I'm going to blame Instagram or some other, you know, because everybody looks at what is cool elsewhere and they go, oh, how do we do that? Like, how do we put our yeah. interior of a coffee shop, our art scene, our gallery scene, our refurbished cobblestone street that used to be, yeah. you know, I don't know, the, the stockyards or something like they, yeah. they kind of all have the same vibe so that people from other blase cities can go there and experience that cool not realizing it's exactly the same as the one that's on the other side of their own town yeah that's a really good point and i never tied it to instagram before but that makes all the sense in the world actually that's something we should write about um we should squeeze that into the book that's coming out in like 10 years well the editor did say we need you know five thousand more words or whatever i bet we could spit i bet we could spit three to five on that we could spit three to five on that for sure and uh 
Yeah, the book's coming out in a decade, but we're doing a lot of marketing meetings for it now. So you know, uh, I figured that one out. Maybe we could, maybe we could just do like an appendix on aesthetics. I think that would be solid, dude. I um, here's the thing: I'll break ground on it today, or you can break ground, and we'll uh, we'll kind of bat it back and forth. I don't think (laughs) I have another real writing deadline that I'm on. So if you break ground, I'm sure I could jump in on it, but I don't think I have the like how to start this thing off energy going right now. Yeah, I think I've got. I need the started off energy. Uh, I need that in my life right now because it's a lot of grinding minutia. Otherwise, so uh, I will carve out some time for that. I don't think we'll burden Ronnie with it. He's he's definitely giving off a, and I'm too busy for any of this vibe right now. Um, so we'll, yes, I uh, believe the last text he sent about the book was sorry, guys. I seriously have zero margin right now. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I have a question about the term margin. Yeah, go. Is is margin <laughs> like I feel like there's a there's a demographic that uses the word margin and then there's yeah. a huge portion of the population that hears margin and thinks like margarine or yeah. like I, I don't I don't know where that word fits in society outside of a very specific demographic, but I feel like it would be best if you described the demographic. Yeah. Okay. So it's this kind of dovetails with what we're talking about this morning. So this is good. I think it's a certain kind of like middle-aged white guy that uses the word margin. And it's some, it's the same kind of middle-aged white guy who like talks about his planner a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's dropping like 120 bucks on a planner talking about it a lot, not real busy, but is about, the business of convincing everyone else of how busy he is. This is, is the is he also the guy? I mean, is with the same? So with this Venn diagram, the overlap include yeah. the guy who loves, you know, um, productivity tools. So totally. they're the ones who are constantly looking for like, you know, so I use this for workflows, and it kind of blends well with my personal calendar. And I'm able, I'm able uh-huh. to invite my my significant other in to like share a calendar here. Yeah. We seriously have zero margin. Yeah, we have zero margin, guy? guys. Sorry. Okay. You know, yeah, it's it's that guy, definitely. Okay. I have to tell you, dude, I am whatever the opposite of that guy is, I am that guy. Like I've never bought a planner, I've never had one iota of interest in like productivity articles, books. It it, it seems to me that the people who get into that stuff are the least productive people. Um and that's painting with a broad brush, and I'm sure I've offended people. But <laughs> well, it's I think they are they are highly efficient. At uh-huh. being efficient, mm-hmm. but not at accomplishing stuff. Like yeah. people who accomplish actual work don't. I, I the 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 percentage of their effort that gets put into being efficient is yeah. pretty low, and it's more just like I found a thing that works. Yeah. So I get up at four thirty. I write for a couple hours. I get the kids ready for school. I whatever. Like they just sort of, and they're not thinking about productivity tools. They're just yeah. And and the people who are addicted to that are the people who are really efficient at organizing, but not at accomplishing. Yeah, that's a that's a good distinction for sure. I I want to go back to the word margin for a minute. Um, I would be more comfortable. I, I think margin is one of these words that we've invented to like uh, stand in for things that we actually just don't want to do. Like if he had said, <laughs> "I really don't want to do the the book edits," <laughs> I'd have been like, "All right." I mean, you're part of it, but I guess I respect the honesty, you know, Um, because at the end of the day, let's get down to brass tacks, dude. 
Nobody wants to do edits on their book. Okay. Right. It's the least pleasant part of the whole process. You know, you get that little email piece. Well, back is it that from, or is it marketing that's the least pleasant process? It's it's neck and neck between marketing yeah. and uh and even marketing, I wouldn't mind. Marketing's a big like you're wasting a lot of time on the on the the calls and the confabs about all the fabulous things you're gonna do that don't end up getting done. Um so marketing's kind of in a different bucket for me, but um yeah, you always get the editor email. It always comes like Friday afternoon at like four fifty PM. And which is a strategy. I used to do the same thing when I was at publishing, because if I send this now, it means I don't have to like it's on your plate yeah, and I don't have to think about it until Monday at noon at the earliest. Right. It's off my plate, so I'm feeling good. Now it's on your plate and you're feeling bad because uh I've just commented on all the things that I don't like about your book. So like look, nobody likes this phase of the process as a writer and you know we're all busy but just get in the office go you know stay a couple hours late and grind it out it's not that hard yeah and it's so mar yeah margin is is absolutely a statement of priority not capacity mm. absolutely yeah you don't have margin for the stuff you do not want to do like i think that's what mm. basically what you just said which yeah and anytime you hear that and i think is i think i've used that word but it always feels a little bit like trying to use the French pronunciation of a word to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and so you're like, oh, that sounds that sounds bad coming it out of my mouth. It sounds weird coming out of my mouth. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like the, it's like the kid who grows up real conservative and like starts experimenting with swearing. And you're like, nah, it's, it, it's not working for you, bud. Yeah, you know, get back in the lab. You got to work on it some more. That's not your native language. Yeah, start with, you need to start with like frick and sucks and work your way up to the real thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I dude, I experimented with being a margin guy like vernacular wise for about a year. Um, cause I learned it. I don't remember how I learned the word, but I was like a toddler kind of like sprinkling it into conversations. And to your point, I realized I wasn't a, a use the word margin guy. Um, I, I didn't have enough of the other like, um, attributes to really be that guy. So I, I stopped doing it. Um, anyway, Ronald doesn't have the margin, but, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and for for listeners, this this may have just been a subtle subtweet conversation of Ronnie as a human. So, um, it, you it know, take that how you will. It's take awesome. it how you will. They'll they'll always take it how they will. For I sure. will say his pastoral Yoda tweet uh, game has been on in recent weeks. Really? So how so, dude? What does that look like? It just you know he's just been he's been super Eugene Peterson on Twitter, which is uh -huh. an ironic thing to say because what made Eugene Peterson Eugene Peterson was not being on Twitter. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm gonna I'm just gonna look it up and see if anything stands out. I just remember yeah. seeing like yeah he's he's putting out you know he's just getting the reps in you know yeah, so he's putting, but he's putting out good stuff. So gosh, dude, not to be that guy, but like you got time to Yoda, you got time to probably grind through the edits. I don't know. Oh, okay, here's here's a perfect one. This is from yesterday. Okay. Lay which down. uh yeah. So he says Sabbathing strong start. Yeah. Just just verbified a noun yeah. and yeah. added a gerund. This is great. Sabbathing isn't about doing nothing. It's about becoming something more important. Oh, it he put an odd space in there. It's about becoming something more important than doing nothing. So oh, yeah. let me reread that because I did a poor job and I butchered yeah. Ronnie's excellent work. Sabbathing isn't about doing nothing. It's about becoming something more important than doing nothing. Oh, yeah. Listeners, yeah, if you want to know what a Yoda tweet is as a yeah. pastor, 
pitch perfect. He that's right. Nailed. That's kind of textbook. You know, that's that's teach tape on uh, on Yoda work for sure. And and it's got the like Ronnie cadence. You know, yeah. like I, I feel like he's he's got the Ronnie Twitter cadence down perfectly. Um, you're, I will you're doing say some that weird the, the odd line break in there gives it a, a touch of like a Christopher Walken thing, though, where you're like, yeah. if where you read is that in Walken voice, the pause. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He's a he's a big line break guy. Yeah, um, and I feel like not a lot of people are doing that. So that's it's like that's writing everything line. in verse, which is uh-huh. you know that 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 lends itself to this to this Yoda tweeting thing. So I'm 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 here for it. It's fine, dude. You know what we really missed the mark on with this book is the fact that. We didn't have him Yoda-ing in the book. Because um, like writing big blocks of prose really isn't his wheelhouse. Um, we should have let him do... <laughs> we should have let him write even fewer words by letting him Yoda. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe we can help get to that, that 5,000 threshold with... He'll, he'll contribute like 120 more 160 words. characters at a time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, I love it. Piper, tell us about visual theology. We're doing the ad read right in the middle. Yes. Um, I, I like this. it. All right. Visual theology listeners, if you go to visualtheology.church, they are, they've, they've been a sponsor with us for some time now. There's a, we are actually working with their company's owner, Josh Byers, to uh, put together our new line of Happy Rant swag and products. And which is great because their designs are, are phenomenal. He's got a really good artistic eye. But what I want to highlight from them today is their curriculum. So they do apparel, they do books, they do posters, they do a bunch of stuff that you can use. But their curriculum is especially great for anybody in a teaching context, I would say of like middle schoolers up through adults, because it's all very clear, very straightforward. It's going to stretch the younger end, but it's not going to be too juvenile for adults. So they have a visual theology guide to the Bible and a visual theology, which is more kind of more a little bit more like a systematic biblical theology combined into one. And with that, they provide teaching materials and a student workbook and uh, leader guides and presentation slides. So if you're a Christian school teacher uh, if you homeschool, if you're doing discipleship work, if you're in college ministry, uh, if you want to do run a, you know, a seminar or a Sunday school class, every church calls these things different things. I don't know what to call them now. Sunday school is a bit passe, but maybe that means it's cool again. This would work really well in that context. So again, go to visualtheology.church. And if you go to visualtheology.church slash happy, you can see the discounts they have for us. Use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout to get a 20% discount off of any purchase. So go check out their curriculum, see if it would work in your context. Use the code HAPPYRANT at checkout, get a 20% discount. And uh, and that's good on any number of purchases. That's not a one-time thing. So I uh, would encourage you to check that out. Uh, I was actually talking to our youth minister the other day. He's real eager to get in on some of this as well to potentially use in some of... He's teaching through the Psalms right now with... Uh, with our students on Wednesday nights, and so he's uh, he's real interested in using some of the visual uh, visual guide to the Bible stuff. So we'll probably be using this in our in our youth ministry shortly. Love it, pipe. Uh, yeah, I love visual theology. I'm super stoked for the new merch that Josh is designing. Also, just a minute on Josh as a guy. Um, met us in Dallas. I'd never met him before. I don't think you had either pipe no um and and ronald definitely hadn't but um yeah super fun dude assimilated right away you know he was doing the the hangouts with us at night and uh just a really great guy great products uh can't wait to see what they come up with 
Yeah, he. Um, I I appreciated so much that he. Uh, there was no like forcing anything. It was yeah. all very much just. It felt very easygoing and yeah. the kind of guy who. You know, it's always nice to work with somebody who you're also like, and now we can go grab food and hang out and stuff. So, yeah, super, Absolutely. super easy to work with, but also very easy going, easy to hang with. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, man, I just I can't say enough about the quality of the products they put out, sure. um, which is, yeah, it's it's just encouraging because there's so many mediocre or poorly done Christian products, especially on the apparel and the visual side. And what what he does is is exceptional. Absolutely. So. Pipe, you brought an intriguing topic to the table this morning, and uh, we were going to talk about another topic that I've, I self-edited and realized that I can't <laughs> talk about how rich people are stealing all my friends, um, but we can talk about leadership, and you said, let's talk about leaders or the kind of leader that we actually respect, and I think this is good because we wrote about leadership, we did a whole chapter in uh, in our our book that'll be released in a decade about uh, about leaders and leadership, but we really didn't say maybe a ton on the kind of leaders that we actually respect and want to follow. Um, so we can talk specific people, we can talk attributes. Um, what were you thinking when you when you dialed this up? Well, the way that we started with the, uh, the margin guy, I feel like is kind of uh -huh. a good setup because that that's a whole category of like what I would, I think you and I would consider faux leadership. It's right. It's yeah. sort of posturing as influential without yeah. actually leading much. So I yeah. think maybe the maybe the first thing that comes to mind on this or the first maybe the first question is like what's the dis what's the difference between leadership as a brand and yeah. leaders who we would follow? Yeah. Like I mean what I separate what separates those two, you know, parad yeah. paradigmatic men. So for women? me, and I'll, I'll try to explain this in a way that you and I can both understand it. Um, I think with an actual leader, there's a goal in mind that transcends just getting more influence. You know what I mean? So yes. like my pastor, for example, loves teaching the Bible. Um, he's really good at it. He's really humble. Um, he wants nothing more than to, you know, preach and love his flock and like I would I would follow that guy to the ends of the earth man I would I would do anything for that guy and never talks about leadership never uses leadershipy terms in any way shape or form and I think doesn't think of himself as a leader he's just really good at what he does and is really humble and those tend to be the kinds of people that I will follow and the humility is conveyed in in the sense of he's really comfortable talking about his own sin struggles, which makes, which make, which makes it really matter when he talks about grace, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, that, which all, yeah. And it speaks to, uh, humility, you know, mm -hmm. which it's, if, if we were going to boil it down to one main difference between leadership, the brand leadership, the industry, and leadership the 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 person who you would you know just follow into you know to hell's gates or whatever right humility is probably the biggest difference yeah i think and, so and the funny thing is humility is a brand now too oh, you know that makes me so there's, sad dude there's there's a there's a book called leaders eat last there's mm -hmm. you know 
uh, what is it? It's like people over ego and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And it, but all of that feels to me like it's a little bit like, I don't know if you've ever read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. Which is really more like how to make people like you and manipulate them. Yes. That's what the, the leadership brand version of humility feels like to me. Is yeah, absolutely. How to posture yourself so that people gain trust in you. And mm-hmm. then, you know, as opposed to like a heart of the best leaders don't do not think of themselves as better than anybody. Yeah, that's true. They have that that Pauline, like, I am the chief of sinners. Yeah. And the fact that anybody's following me is much more a statement of miracle than it is accomplishment. And isn't that a remarkable posture of the heart that should be aspirational for all of us? You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of leader that I want to be. And when I see it in people, I'm always really attracted to it. Um, regardless of the context, it could be like, you know, academia, manufacturing, church, um, whatever the context is. When I see someone who is truly humble, I think good leaders have to be hard workers. You know, you have to respect the the reps that they're putting in and the effort that they're making. And in order to follow somebody, that that part has to be there. I'll tell you a quick story, dude. This was, um, man, years ago, I want to say almost 15 years ago now, I was, uh, I was doing a writing project and I was at the Senior Bowl, um, which is this big college football all-star mm-hmm. game for all the best seniors who are about to go into the NFL. And the fun thing about the Senior Bowl is that NFL coaching staffs coach both the teams. So that year, it happened to be the 49ers uh, and their head coach was Mike Singletary. And Singletary was like an idol of mine growing up. I loved this guy. He played middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Incredible player. And the cool thing about the Senior Bowl back then was if you were like a media person, you could go like right down basically onto the field, right to the fence and watch practice. And when Singletary would put his guys through a drill, he would always like thank them afterward. And he would thank them for their effort. And I was just like... This is so atypical for a football coach to bring gratitude and kind of humanness into an experience that can be really dehumanizing. And that's one of those things leadership wise that like stayed with me and I was I was attracted to it, you know, uh, yeah. and the guys seem to respond really well to it. That's it. That's really cool because I the connection between gratitude and humility is so strong because mm-hmm. everybody knows like we've all trained our kids say thank you. Yeah. Which is miles apart. That that is a that is a phrase of politeness. Right. That's so different than being grateful. Yeah. You know. And and yeah. so the idea of g- gratitude cuz gratitude is really a recognition that you just did something on my behalf. You did something that I couldn't do. You made yeah. my life easier. There's a yeah. there's a recognition that you sir you, you served, cared for, saved, improved me in some way in a way that I couldn't do myself. And so it's kind of an inherently humble posture. And so and and so for a coach to do that, the guy who has all of the power to recognize that this player didn't have to give 100% in that drill, and he did, yeah. is he's kind of – there is a humility there being like, you just made the team better by that that effort in this, you know, small, mundane grind of a drill. Absolutely. Dude, let me ask you this. Um, and this speaks like – more to our personalities, I guess. If you're in a group, let's say 
I don't know, maybe at your church, maybe, maybe in some other context, like how comfortable are you letting other people lead versus like taking the lead yourself? It's kind of an esoteric question, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Cause there's a certain yeah. kind of guy that feels like he has to lead. Um, and that tends to be a guy that I don't like following either. Right. I, I would say 10, 10, 15 years ago. So in my mid twenties, I would have been just jump into the front of the room, you know, yeah. I had, had to have a voice that was heard those kinds mm-hmm. of things. I think I've learned a lot about, well, I mean, it's some of it's pragmatic. Some of it is probably growing in humility. And then some of it is just learning that there are some other amazing leaders who don't look or sound anything like me. So they don't need yeah. to be kind of loud and upfront. I've yeah. gotten a lot better at letting other people do that stuff. And that's such mm-hmm. a, douchebag phrase letting other people do that stuff yeah. um as it not getting in their way is really what i mean you know not right. being an obnoxious obstacle um yeah. and the pragmatic piece of it is as you get older and gain responsibility other people leading is serving you you know yeah, it's taking true. a load off of you so if i'm in a you know if there's a bible study at church and it's kind of an awkward quiet thing and the leader you know, is not very assertive, whereas I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, he can run with yeah. it. I don't need to take on the responsibility of guiding this thing. Yeah. Because I have enough responsibility and things to think about elsewhere. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stay out of his way. Yeah. That's good, man. That's a great point. And it's a, it's a big, I think, part of maturity to, to recognize that and to do it. And even to recognize that, like, I don't have to be the best leader. Other people have other giftings. Um, like I feel like more and more when I go to church and I hear like our other members of our pastoral staff, for example, like teaching a Sunday school class, I'm like, huh, they led that really well. And I consider myself a decent public speaker, but like I couldn't have done it that well. And so I feel like the older I get, the more I'm seeing other people lead well. Yeah. And I'm appreciating it. And um yeah, I don't know. I think there's there's something there's something in that about um yeah, just the the humility to recognize another leader and to enjoy it and to celebrate someone else's gifts, which seems to be at odds with kind of the ethos of the leadership industry, which is like, you know, get as much as you can when yeah. you can, while you can. Um, when it's, which <clears throat> I, yeah. the, the leadership industry is so at odds with the church. Yeah. You know, it's, it's clearly, yeah. it's clearly made, I don't even want to say inroads. It's basically taken over huge portions of, you know, the, the church complex, but yeah. it's, it's so antithetical to everything from, I think the heart of Christ to you know, Ephesians four, where it talks about the church leaders are there for the equipping of the saints. Like your job is basically to set other people up to succeed, to, to be great at whatever gifts God has given them and then launch them into the world. And I, there's, there's a ton in the leadership industry about developing leaders and handing off responsibility, but Mm -hmm. it still really all seems to come back around to the success of the leader, you know, This idea of like, if you're developing other leaders, you'll always have a job. People will see, like, if you're, if you're putting rock stars into the world, people are going to see you as like the guy behind the rock stars. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. Whereas 
you think about any version of biblical leadership, how people see me only matters in the context of imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's about yeah. it. And, and so aside good, from man. that, it's like, yeah. who cares? It, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. No, you're so right. And I also take umbrage with the term rock star. <laughs> I knew you been were on that one. It's been co-opted by dorks, like, like quarter zip leadership dorks using the term rock star. I don't like it. Um, I feel like it, it disrespects actual rock stars. And um, I'm uncomfortable with that. But uh, yeah, I, but th- it, this is such a weird conversation because it, it's uh, it requires us to kind of what's the word? It requires us to kind of not be the kind of people we are honoring right now, because yes. the best leaders do not think about being the best leaders as much as they do being people of character. Yeah, they yeah. think about others like their mind yeah. is almost always on what do. What does this team need? What does this church need? What does this person right. need? You know, if you're leading your family well, you're not thinking how do how do I lead well. You're thinking what does my what does my son need? What does my wife yeah. need? What yeah. what can I do today to lift a burden to organize things? There's a recognition of of responsibility of authority those kinds of things, but it's yeah. not it's not a question of um, yeah how am I seen as a leader? How am I strategizing this? Yeah, and it. And again, I think strategy is super valuable and necessary in any organization that has any, you know, plan, you know, any plans to, to exist in five years. Um, yeah. But those things are not quintessentially great leadership, I don't think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, yeah, I mean, for dads, especially who are trying to, quote unquote, lead a household, like I think the the knowability piece is really important, like allowing yourself to be known by your wife, by your kids. Like I, I meet so many college kids who don't know their dads Yeah, and the dad's been in the home for 20 years, you know? And it's like, this guy's been aloof and, and kind of trying to pull off the I'm perfect thing or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, people don't want to follow that. It's sad. Did you ever, did you ever read Wright Thompson's piece on urban Meyer? I think it was when urban was at Ohio state. Dude, I never did, but I love Wright Thompson. Yeah, I mean, any listeners, any long form piece written by Wright Thompson uh, is is spectacular. He's brilliant. But he was he was talking about. I think it was the, the piece was called something like "Urban Meyer will be home for dinner" or something like mm-hmm. that. And uh, or and and there's a, there's a scene where one of his daughters is she's been heavily recruited as a Division one volleyball player, I think, or at least mm-hmm. a collegiate volleyball player. She's making the declaration of, you know, what school she's going to go to, kind of a little mini press conference kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Urban has this on his calendar, his, his, you know, executive assistant or whatever has blocked this out. Yeah. And he, uh, he goes and he's like, can we, can we clear this? I need, I have too much to do today. You know, he's recruiting 17 year olds to come play for him and probably paying them and whatever else. But, uh, and she's basically like, no, you're going to go to this thing. So he shows up unwillingly. Yeah, be uh, or begrudgingly at least to his daughter's declaration of a, a major kind of momentous time in her life. Yeah, right. Yeah, she declares what school she's going to go to. She thanks you know her mom. She thanks her coach, and she looks at her dad and says, "And dad, you weren't there." Um, mm. <clears throat> and kind of this just sucker punch of a moment. 
And, you know, you're talking about dads being known. That's obviously the extreme example. But I think when dads that worry about leading their family more than they do about being loving, you know, loving their wife as Christ loves the church, you know, really caring for your kids. When you when you think about leading your family, it shifts into task mode. It shifts into what's the structure of our life. And right. and it dehumanizes and distances yourself. And obviously, the Urban Meyer thing. Like, it sounds like he was not even doing anything for his family other than the you know big big paycheck. But yeah, right. um, yeah. I don't. I'm really ill at ease with most conversations about leading the family. Not yeah. because I don't think it's a biblical thing, but because I think the understanding of how to do it is garbage. Yeah. No, that's a great point, and it's one of those phrases that's kind of like finagled its way into our vernacular over the last 10 or 15 years. And I hear guys say it, I've probably said it, but yeah, like similar to the word margin, when it comes out of my mouth, I always feel a little bit like, eh, you know, this isn't, this isn't my thing to say, you know? Um, and yeah, it, it, it seems to me that the, again, sort of ironically, the men who do this well are the ones who, are tender and loving and allow themselves to be known. And, you know, their, their kids have some kind of understanding of their father's sin struggles, you know, and, um, they're, they let their families into that so that their families can see how good the Lord is, you know, because at the end of the day, this is all about, you know, magnifying Christ and the ways that we do it are going to look a little different from person to person. But, if I'm magnifying myself as a leader, it follows that I'm not magnifying Christ, right? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So, so that that's what's always made me a little squeamish about the "I'm leading my family well" type guys. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I, I do think that's a biblical category, but I feel like it's it's a little bit like the term, uh, I don't know, evangelical, where yeah. It, it it really does have a meaning that is yeah. profoundly Christian. Yeah. But it has yeah. been co-opted to mean something that's pretty profoundly unchristian in yeah. or, or at least unchrist-like in that way. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and I I part of the part of my squeamishness about it is distinctly personal because I I got married so young, you know, I was in early twenties mm-hmm. and came out of a, a staunch complementarian context, which yeah. I absorbed the structure of, but not any of kind of the biblical heart behind because because sure. I was 20 and arrogant and stupid. And so yeah. there was, you know, I don't know that I was oppressive, but like my understanding of leading the home was much more like take charge than it was yeah. lay down your life, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I just I think I was probably just a kind of stereotypical jackass. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh and so when I hear other guys talk about that, whether they're if they're twenty three, I, I you know I kind of want to pull them aside and be like, all right, let's have a conversation. If yeah. they're forty three, I'm like, how long has your wife been sort of quietly suffering under this <laughs> this kind of yeah. faux leadership thing? Yes, exactly. And I don't know. It's like your wife didn't fall in love with a leader; like she fell in love with a person, right? You know, hopefully, and. um you know, she probably wants that person back from time to time. And, um, yeah, it, it's interesting what you're saying because there have been so many books written about leadership and even leading the home and, and being a good dad or whatever. But 
those all speak to process by and large, whereas the Bible is the only document that can change the heart. Yeah. And it more and more, I just need my heart changed. You know, I don't, I don't need to be told how to do stuff because I'm, I'm, I'm 45. Like I'm pretty good at doing stuff or at least the stuff that I need to be okay at to get by. Yeah. Or you've at least but, reached your level. Like you're like, I, yeah, I have this right. skill level at doing stuff, accomplishing yeah. things. Yeah. And knowing what I can and can't do and what I need to hire out versus what I can do. But like, um, yeah, more, more and more, like I just need a clean heart, you know? And, um, that's what I want. And no kind of leadership text can supply that. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, good discussion pipe. Um, this was an enjoyable one. Hey, remind me because we're tired and I probably have CTE. What, what was the thing that I, that I said I would start writing at the top of the program that we agreed was a good idea? Oh, it was, it was, uh, aesthetics. So we were talking about how like all the cool areas of every city look the same. Yes. But, uh, but you know, we could, we could, we could do the same thing with, with church aesthetics or, you know, people's personal brand or whatever. So take that, take that where you will use the creative. You said you're pretty good at doing stuff and your writing proves that (laughs) true. Do, Do your thing. Oh, okay. I'm texting myself. Instagram and all things look the same. There we go. All right. It's in there now, man. There's your thesis statement. I'll write five paragraphs. Exactly. Yeah. We should, we should just do a, an appendix, which is just like five paragraph essays about. Oh, I just, just vomited (laughs) in my mouth. Quick, quick question. As a, as somebody who is teaching students how to write, now you're not yeah. like the writing one on one guy. But you're you're we're working on journalism, storytelling, yeah. how to how to craft this thing. Yeah. Five paragraph essay. If a student uh-huh. comes in with an adept ability at writing a well thought out five paragraph essay, sort of the quintessential writing yeah. structure taught in middle schools. Yeah. Good or bad for what you're trying to teach them to do? What a great question. Um <clears throat> I think bad because at its essence the five paragraph essay is not about engaging, delighting, connecting with an audience and the stuff that I really enjoy teaching the feature, like, like the right Thompson stuff, um, the long form personal essay, the, the deep dive, like journalistic experience, those things are about connecting and you're taking big ideas, right? So you're taking a thesis about urban Meyer and family, let's say, and, you know, you're writing it in such a way that somebody who isn't Urban Meyer can connect with it and understand and see bits and pieces of their own experience in it. So the five paragraph essay is really a thing that gets you through school, uh, but it doesn't really get you anywhere in terms of isn't it? You know, isn't trying it just to connect an outlining with an exercise functionally? Yeah, it's like basically. this is a dr- yeah. this is a draft of my my idea. It's just to make yeah, sure that I right. have. I've determined the parameters of this idea, right? Yeah. So I'm sure there's value in that. And I think, I think probably as young thinkers, there's value in, okay, how does this paragraph connect with the the last one? And am I hitting all the like high points of my argument or whatever? I'm I'm sure that has a place. Um, But I don't teach that class. So, you know, for, for what I'm trying to do, that's not, that's not really what we're about. Um, But that's okay. You know, that's a, that's a different class for a different guy. Um, so good question though, man. I, I love talking about writing stuff. We should do a whole app on okay. like writing stuff, how it's taught craft books, 
Um, I don't know the the kind of cottage industry that is writing conferences and and kind of fluffing <laughs> you know, up people's dreams and that. You know what I've never been to a writing conference. A writing conference. I've never been to one. Yeah, I've only and, been as a speaker. They're weird. Yeah, I've I've done so. There's there's a group called Gospel Centered Discipleship who does these writing cohorts, but it's more like yeah. a course where it's. They have so they have guest people come in and do a kind of a session on different aspects of writing, you know, connecting yeah. with the reader in a certain way, defending truth, these kinds of things, outlining, yeah. crafting stuff. So I do a session for them a couple times a year, but then they're yeah. doing like writing assignments and they're together for several months and there's kind of they have like homework. So it's it's not really a writing conference because it's much more in depth. <clears throat> yeah. And and I think there's freedom there for people to kind of write their way, you know? So if somebody's doing more, writing more memoir or more theology yeah. or more whatever, they can kind of flex that way. That actually sounds like a really cool concept. Yeah, um, they do yeah, They I, do a good job with it. I've spoken at more of the like, um, you know, I guess traditional writing conferences where, I don't know, they're all the talks end up being about marketing. And uh, <laughs> there's always some skeevy guy from like a, a, um, a vanity press there trying to lure like middle-aged women into you know, paying him a bunch of money to publish their books. Hello, uh, Rose Publishers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always gross. Um, I don't know. Like I always go to those things and I identify who that guy is. And then I just want to like take him apart. Um, (laughs) but anyway, uh, pipe, we've done what we always do in this program, which is, uh, wander to and fro throughout really a, a diverse array of topics. When we came to the table with one topic originally, um i've enjoyed it man this has been fun uh and until next time the happy rant is brought to you by resonate recordings if you go to resonaterecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer so if you're considering starting a podcast they are the ones we recommend going with Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.